We've been in the middle of a very, very deep sermon series entitled Jesus is Coming. And we're marching towards Resurrection Sunday. And today I want to I let you know what's on my heart. Um, the message that I'm going to share with you is very important. I don't want you to miss it and I don't want you to misunderstand it. I also want you to know my heart is not to be provocative or shocking, scandalous in any way. But I do feel we have to address the issue that I'll talk about here, especially towards the end of my message, because it's one of the signs I truly believe Jesus highlights for us. It's one of the signs that Jesus highlights for us. Now, I want to connect a couple of more dots. I've been talking about the second heaven or the spiritual dimension. Today, we'll talk more about that spiritual dimension. And that spiritual dimension is where Satan and his demonic forces operate to influence our world. Paul says they, they influence with doctrines of demons. That's belief systems that come from the spiritual world. The Bible says that the spirit of Antichrist will be on the earth. And the spirit of Antichrist is already at work. And it will become stronger and stronger and stronger as we get closer to Christ's return. So I don't want you to miss this. I believe that this is the work of the spirit of Antichrist. And we'll talk about it in a second. But the reason I'm giving the disclaimer up front, because you might be tempted to say, oh, pastor, why are you covering that? Or, oh, I don't want to hear it. That's not, that, that, that has no place on Sunday morning. And I do understand that many pastors avoid the subjects that oftentimes I do get into, but I want to tell you why I get into them. And I get into them even at the risk of you thinking I'm a conspiracy nut, that I go off and chase tangents and, and go down rabbit holes and things like this. But this is what I've seen. I've seen that our young people are dealing with things the church doesn't want to deal with. That's not good for me. And I'll tell you why. More and more young people are walking away from the church and they're exploring things like the paranormal, ghosts, and all sorts of spiritual things that the church just doesn't want to deal with. And we have the answers if we only have the courage to deal with them. And so I'm going to deal with some of those things today. And I don't want you to miss what's really on my heart, and that is that the gospel message is secure, it is true, and you can build a life on it, regardless of what the enemy's up to. All right, come on, let's get into it. So, one of Jesus's final warnings to the church, we'll get into in a second, but I want to remind you where we've been. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, Paul says this to Timothy, his young protege. He says, now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the end times, the last times, some will turn away from true faith. Today I want to show you why some are going to be turning away from true faith. Because I believe there is a huge delusion that's coming onto the earth. A huge delusion and a spirit of deception. And it's the reason why many will fall away. They will follow deceptive spirits, teachings that come from demonic forces in the spiritual realm. I want you to mark that in your heart right now because we'll get into it in a second. Now watch what Paul says to the church of Thessalonica. He says, now dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And how he will gather us to him. Don't be fooled. Here it is again. There's going to be deceptive spirits. Don't be fooled. Jesus says, when they ask him in Matthew 24, we'll refer to Matthew 24 in just a second. That's known as the Olivet Discourse. He's on the Mount of Olives. Some of the disciples come to him and they ask him a very specific question. Lord, tell us about the end of the age, your second coming, and when all of these things will come to pass. He sits down and begins to teach them. First word out of his mouth. You want to know what it is? Don't be deceived. Or in some versions, make sure that you're not deceived. 
Within four verses, he covers it three times. Don't be deceived. Don't, do you think deception will mark the end? There'll be a, a lot of deception. So I want to highlight that for you right now so that you're on your guard. You're ready. Amen? I want you to be ready. Now, here we go. Don't be deceived. Jesus, in part of that Olivet Discourse, when he's telling his disciples about the end, he says this. He says, and as it was in the days of Noah. So boom, he gives you a signpost. Come on. How many of us love to see those signposts when we've been traveling for a long time and we, that signpost tells us we're almost there? We travel to, uh, to Colorado every year. We love the snow and that's spoken like a Texan who didn't grow up with snow. I get that. Because some folks that are up from up north go, Pastor, you have no idea what you're talking about. You live up north, you'll hate the snow, believe me. But I love it because I grew up with heat all the time. And so when we get to Chama, New Mexico, how many of you know where Chama, New Mexico is? We're driving through Chama. My kids start perking up. I start perking up. Everybody in the car starts getting excited. We're almost there. We're almost to Colorado. This is a good thing. Because we've been, it takes a day just to get out of Texas. Right? Can I tell you, when you see the signpost that Jesus talks about, you don't need to go, oh no. You need to say, wow, Lord, we're almost there. That's the whole reason for our journey, right? The whole reason is to see you, Lord. To see you. Now, do you realize you might be the most chosen generation in the history to see the second coming of the Lord? That would be amazing. You should be like, you should be praying, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. I would love to be the generation to see you. This is awesome. So watch what he says. It'll be like the times of Noah. So keep that in mind. So it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given into marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, so it will be in the day that the Lord comes. That's what he's saying here. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, And it rained down fire and brimstone and destroyed them all. So it will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wow, two perfect signs. Noah and Lot. Can I tell you our first point about Noah and Lot is this. It's it's about... It's, it will surprise most people. That's point number one. Point number one from Jesus' signs tell us they're going to be carrying on with their lives and it's going to come on them as a surprise. Why? Because they're going to be looking into the future, making their own plans. What does the Bible say? Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's what? God's purpose that prevails. That means you can plan all you want. The book of James says we shouldn't talk about what we're going to do tomorrow and we're going to do this and we're going to do that and I can't wait for the future. The truth of the matter is no one's guaranteed tomorrow. We should say, Lord, by your grace I live. Lord, it's for your purpose that I live. God, I want to keep you in mind instead of just my future, right? This is what's going to mark the end times. I want to ask you, do you see that today? Do you see people getting so caught up they forget about God and it's all about what they're going to do? You see it day in and day out. Now, I want you to go with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew 24, you have the very same words. But I want you to notice what Matthew emphasizes. But about the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the sun. Wait, how could Jesus not know when he's coming back? This is Jewish wedding, Galilean wedding talk. The son would go and prepare a place for his bride. When he was done preparing a place, what did Jesus say in Matthew, I mean in John 14? Don't let your hearts be troubled, right? You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Let me tell you, I go to prepare a place for you. So that where I am, there you may also be, right? This is the point. The bridegroom goes and prepares a place 
when he's done preparing the place, he'll tell his father, Father, I'm done. Can I go get my bride? The father will say, let me see your preparations. Yeah, everything's good, son. Well done. I'll let you know when. And when the anticipation would build, he would say, son, go get your bride. Go get your bride. This is what Jesus is talking about here. Now watch this. As it was in the days of Noah. So the days of Noah must be pretty significant that Matthew highlights that, but he leaves out the days of Lot. He leaves out the days of Lot. He highlights the days of Noah. So we're going to spend most of our time in the days of Noah. But I want you to see what he's talking about here. He's saying all of these things are going to happen. It will catch people by surprise. And then the highlighted portion. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken. And another left behind. Ooh. What is Jesus saying? That means the days of Noah are going to categorize the time period Prior to the rapture. Prior to the rapture. What's the rapture? When God comes to collect his bride. This is why Matthew, speaking primarily to a Jewish audience, highlights the whole Jewish uh, wedding language. When he says, not even the Son of Man knows. Why? Because he's talking about a son going, preparing a place. Dad, I'm ready. Dad tells him when he's when he's to go get his bride. And at that point, the church will be raptured. Now, what happens immediately after the church is raptured? Remember 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's the word. If you go down from where we read, we read it a few weeks ago. It says this. The Antichrist will be revealed when the one that restrains it is removed. The one that restrains is the Holy Spirit that lives inside the church. When the church is raptured, the Holy Spirit will no longer be here to restrain the Antichrist. The Antichrist will step onto the stage of the world. What else do we know? We know that the Bible specifically says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that will be a strong delusion that God will be allowed to be sent on the earth. Now if God allows a delusion, it's going to be powerful. And so, so many people tell me this. I've heard people tell me, oh, pastor, if I get left behind, I'll get serious then. You may not be able to. The delusion may be so strong, you won't have eyes to see or ears to hear the truth. Because he says the delusion will come because they refuse to hear the truth and come to the saving knowledge of the gospel. Read it for yourself. Read all of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 if you'd like. But this is what's going to mark the end. Now now go with me to another passage that's very, very significant. Peter, 2 Peter chapter 4. Beloved, I write to you this second epistle. In both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. Now let me ask you this. Why is he reminding them? Why does he highlight that? Because people are going to forget that Jesus is coming back and it's going to surprise them, right? So he's stirring up in them a reminder. He's saying, don't forget that you may be mindful of the words which have been spoken to you by the holy prophets and of the command that we have given you. The apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. You know why people are going to forget? Because there's going to be a ton of folks going, ah, come on. Come on. What are they going to say specifically? Saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since our fathers fell asleep, for generations they've been telling us that he's coming. Where is his coming? He's not coming. That actually helps people forget. Because people want to forget. They want to forget that God is coming. Why? So they can keep doing what they want to do. Not for us Christians. We're like, Lord, I already died to myself. I want you to come back. Who cares what I think? Who cares what I want? I want what you want, Lord. I want what you want. And so stay with me on this. Because it will catch many people by surprise. That's point number one. Point number two. It will be like the days of Lot. The days of Lot. 
Well, what were the days of Lot like? Why was Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed? You know, that's not popular to preach today. It was destroyed because of sexual immorality, specifically the sin of homosexuality. <gasps> Pastor, how, how dare you? No, it, I'm just speaking the truth. doesn't matter what I think. I'm not God. I didn't create the world. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what he says. And you say, but, but Pastor, no, it's serious to the Lord. And I want you to ask yourself the question, do we see that sign today? Do you see the sin of homosexuality as a signpost to our society? Do you see gender confusion? We have men believing they're women, competing against women, standing on the podium thinking they're something. I don't know if standing on the podium is necessarily what happens, but, but receiving awards, thinking that it's something virtuous. Are we confused? We are confused. It will be like the times of Lot. You say, but pastor, why is that significant? Because marriage's purpose is what it violates. It violates the very purpose of marriage. This union of homosexuality, and there's only, there should be no union outside of marriage according to God's word. And so people say, well, we need to redefine marriage, but you can't redefine something you didn't institute. Well, who instituted it? God did. And he did it for a very specific reason. But you say, but pastor, but Jesus never did address it. As a matter of fact, he did address it. He addressed what marriage was about. And by definition said anything that doesn't fit within the godly definition is not marriage. He, he took us back to the creative order in, second, uh, in the second chapter of Genesis. Where a man shall be joined to his wife. The two will leave their families and become one. One. Not Adam and Steve, but Adam and Eve. You know, do you hear what I'm saying to you? This is important. Why? Because marriage has a very specific purpose. It's for the purpose of procreation. Biologically, you cannot have children. You cannot keep the human race going when you have two men and two women. You need, biologically speaking, categorically, you need a man and a woman. God says it should be done in holy matrimony. So procreation. Illustration. What do we mean by illustration? It's meant to illustrate God's God's holy trinity as we form a family. But not only that, see, Jesus Christ uses it to illustrate his love for his bride, the church. Think about it. And sanctification. What do you mean sanctification? It makes you more holy? Come on, guys. How many of you knew? How many of you know that this is true? Because when you got married, you didn't know how bad you were until your wife shared it with you. You know, I thought I was great till my wife told me, you got all kinds of issues. You need to change, buddy. I say it all the time. My wife is like the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life. She's always speaking to me. Babe, you got to do, you, you got to. And it makes me a better person. Being married has helped me die to myself. Because the two shall become. That means my individuality needs to go away. Her individuality needs to go away. And we need to come and reflect the very presence of Christ. As we come together. So it violates. It denounces. It blasphemes. And it denies. I don't want to keep on this. Because I want to get to the days of Noah. I think we know, and if we, just, if we just would be honest with ourselves, we know that God destroyed two whole cities for that sin. And some say, well, a sin is a sin is a sin. But I don't see God destroying someone for eating one too many Snickers bars, destroying an entire civilization for it. No, he calls this sin an abomination. And it will mark his second coming. It will mark his second coming. And I need you to search deep in your heart. Do you see it? Do you see it? If you do, get ready. He's coming back. He's coming back. Watch. Let's keep reading in 2 Peter. 2 Peter 
For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. This is one big sentence. But what do angels that fell and sinned have to do with the ancient world that Noah was in and was destroyed? Well, we know that Jesus just highlighted it would be signposts of the end. Here, Peter said, I need you to remember, don't let the scoffers detract you. Who are the scoffers? Come on, stay with me on this. The scoffers are the ones that say, ah, he's never coming back. So Peter's talking about the end as well. And he marks it with two specific things. He marks it with Noah and Lot. Sodom and Gomorrah. Same thing Jesus did. But Peter adds this one element of angels doing something. Angels doing something. What do you think they did? Okay, stay with me. Stay with me. We're going to go, and I want you to see this pattern. I'm going to go two, two slides down. I want you to see this pattern. He talks about fallen angels, Noah, Lot. Who else does this? Well, we'll see in a minute. But right now, we're, point, we're on point number three. The days of Noah will mark the end times. So let's go to Genesis chapter 6 and talk about the days of Noah. You ready? Hey, look at me. Look at me. You don't have to agree with me, but I want you to open your mind and really look at it from God's word. Okay, this is serious right here. We're about to go into something really serious. And I get it that most pastors would not touch this with a 10-foot pole on Sunday morning. But our children are dealing with this. Our children are dealing with this. Now stay with me on this. The days of Noah, Genesis chapter 6. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them. So who were the men? Mankind. When mankind began to multiply, guess what? When mankind begins to multiply, there's going to be girls and boys. Boys and girls. Right here, the author is highlighting who? The girls. So men begin to multiply. What Mankind begins to multiply. And what? Girls are born to them. Now, keep reading with me. Born to them. That the sons of God... The sons of God, whoa, wait a minute. Pastor, you highlighted that. Saw the daughters of men. So you have now sons of God and daughters of men. Now I'm going to share with you an opposing view of what I believe. The opposing view has been held for generations and it started started back in the Middle Ages and it's called the Sethite view. Seth was, was, uh, was Adam and Eve's son after Cain and Abel. Seth was a godly man and was, is talked about by God's word that he was, he was special in that regard. I don't deny that. But I want you to think. He doesn't say men or Seth's offspring. It just says what? It just says men. Mankind began to multiply, had daughters, right? Doesn't say Cain's offspring. Doesn't say Seth's offspring. It just means there was multiplication taking place and daughters were being born. Now the sons of God doesn't say that they're Seth's kids either. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew word there is Elohim, which means what? Sons of God, which is found in other parts in Job and in Psalms to be a created, a creation of God. Angels are a creation of God. The reason I believe it doesn't hold, the Sethite view doesn't hold water is because if Seth's kids are good and Cain's kids are bad, that means the sons of God are the good kids of Cain and the daughters of men are the bad girls of Cain. Oh, wait, wait, let me, let me go back. The sons of God are the good kids of Seth 
And the daughters of men are the bad gals of Cain. And they come together. They're either going to have a bad kid or a good kid. And there's already a word for that. According to that view. What I want you to see is watch this. The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all of those that they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Many people believe that that 120 years has dual meaning, meaning there'll be 120 years for the flood to come and I'm not going to let man live to 900, 800 years. They, they dream up too many wicked things. Okay? Now watch this. That there were Nephilim or giants. That is a specific Hebrew word defining a new category. This is where I'm coming from. You got a good kid from Seth, a bad girl from Cain. They come together and they have a Nephilim? It's right there in Peter. The angels that fell. The sons of God are angels. They took the girls. Why didn't they take the boys? Because the angels were the boys. And they had offspring with them. The stays of Noah, listen to me, will be marked with genetic manipulation. Never before in the history of our civilization, this modern civilization, if we had the ability to manipulate our genetics. Now, before you freak out and say, pastor's saying, I'm not against, listen to me very closely, I'm not against science. I have been the beneficiary of great medicine. There will be great medicine. I invest in a little company right now that is trying their best to use chemical splicing to solve, and it's not CRISPR, it's another company, in case you're going, oh, which one is it? That is trying to, listen to me very closely, find a cure for MS, for Lou Gehrig's, for all of these genetic diseases. I think that's good. But where is this going to lead in Satan's hands? Because that's going to mark the end. And the technology is here already. It's here. So I don't want you to freak out about the good stuff. I want you to see the signpost that it's going to head when the spirit, when the spirit raptures us. I mean, when God raptures us, it's going to go haywire. And it's already starting to. So stay with me on this. There will be Nephilim, giants. Now the word Nephilim is a very specific word. It's a hybrid. The Septuagint, or the, the Greek scholars, wrote Hegantes, or or the Latin scholars, excuse me, wrote the word hegantes, which means giants. They didn't have a word for it. They were like, what are these things? And they describe them there. Sons of God came into the daughters of men and bore children to them. Those were the mighty men of old, the men of renown. Listen to me very closely. Mythology calls them titans. God's word calls them what? Nephilim. You say, but pastor, I don't take secular books as canonical or authoritative. But you can learn history from them. And history tells us that many cultures believe in this thing. What was Hercules if not a titan? Let me put it to you another way. There are certain books that you can just reference very loosely Listen to me very closely, very loosely as just historical, like the book of Enoch. It's not, it's not to be included in the Bible. We don't gain doctrine from it. We just gain a little perspective, just a slight perspective. The book of Enoch talks about this. The book of Jasher. Let me see if I can find it here in my notes. You got a second? All right, where am I at? Here we go, here we go. The book of... I'm going to read it to you from the book of Jasher. The book of Jasher. 
their judges and rulers went to the daughters of men and took their wives by force from their husbands according to their choice and the sons of men in those days and took cattle of the earth, beasts of the fields and fowls of the air and taught the mixture of animals and one species with another in order therewith to provoke the Lord. Now, I don't know if that's true. I just find it interesting that it's also highlighting genetic what? Manipulation. Now, let's get to God's word, because God's word is what, what, what matters ultimately. And I want to highlight a couple of things for you, because I want to, I want to show you that this isn't just found in Peter. This isn't just found in Genesis 6. It's also found in Jude. Read in the book of Jude with me. And I remind you, of the angels who do not stay within their limits of authority that God gave them, but they left the place where they belonged. And what happened? And God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. Now, what does he couple this to? The same thing the other writers have coupled it with. Couples it next to Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because this this event of the angels represents the ancient world of Noah and why it was destroyed. And then, what's the other sign of the end? The days of Lot. So you have the days of Noah and you have the days of Lot next together in two verses, side by side. Stay with me on this. Keep going. I want you to go with me to the word which is translated there in the book of Jude, it says they left their place. Their place in the New King James is known as their abode. They left their abode. What does that mean? It's a Greek word that, that is found here, okaterion, which means a dwelling, a habitation. They left what was proper for them and they went and had intercourse with the women to create an offspring. Now, why would they do that? Why would they do that? And some of you are going, oh my goodness. This has already been put out there to our culture. You have, you have vampires having, you have where, I mean, oh, it's all over. It's all over. Then you go, oh, pastor, you're being too, no, stay with me. Stay with me before you dismiss me. Hold on. Read in Genesis chapter six, verse eight. Read it up there. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We've known this. Watch what's highlighted next. This is the generation, the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. What is that, that verse highlighting? If not Noah's bloodline, it's highlighting Noah's bloodline. It's not about Seth and Cain and it's something bigger. It's about Noah was not genetically tainted. I'm going to start over with him. And all of these other hybrids that are not human anymore, they don't get salvation. Why? Because Jesus came to save mankind. Mankind. I need you to hang in there with me. You go, why do I need it? Because it's a signpost. It's a signpost. In Leviticus... The Bible highlights how important blood is. Listen to what the life of a creature is in his blood. We know that now. That your DNA makes up who you are. That's what the Bible says in Leviticus. And anyone who plays loose with this shall be cut off. Don't drink the blood. I don't want you drinking the blood. There's life in the blood. You go, well, pastor, you're stretching a little bit. Okay, go with me to Genesis chapter 3 because in Genesis chapter 3, there's the curse that God pronounces on the serpent. And this is what he says to the serpent. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. It's funny how the sons of God came to the daughters of men. So Satan hears this curse that's pronounced on him. It's a prophecy from the Lord. And he hears, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
It's a messianic prophecy of Jesus Christ. The word becomes flesh. Through what? The virgin birth that's prophesied in the book of Isaiah. And Satan says, okay, you're going to have a seed. I'm going to work on my seed. And he starts to corrupt the human race. God says, "Uh uh-uh, we're going to start over. But it says, in those days there were Nephilim, and after those days. Now notice, when they come into the promised land, who's in the promised land? Giants. God says, I need you to wipe them out without mercy. It's interesting how God wipes out these hybrids without mercy. This is just me talking. I have no proof on this. But for the longest, when I was a kid, I thought the mark of the beast might be like um, like, a, like one of those barcodes. You're going to put a barcode on your forehead or something, something goofy like that. Oh, don't get this tattoo or don't get that or don't get this. What if it's more genetic than you thought? I'm just, just putting that out there. What if you're no longer human? Because I can show you video after video where people are saying in the very near future, we're going to be less human than you think. We're going to be upgraded. We're going to be this. We're going to be able to live forever. There was a show that I showed in one of our Wednesday night classes. It was called Year Million. It was in 2017. I talked about this way back then. And they were talking about soon enough science through nanotechnology, AI, robotics, and genetic manipulation, genetics, will be able to offer eternal life. That's what the show literally said. It's from National Geographic. You can go listen to it. All three episodes. One of them is called The Human Species. That means the human species is going to be changed and we can offer you eternal life. That sounds like Antichrist to me. Doesn't it? What would you give not to die? Oh yeah, sign me up. You'll never grow old. You'll be strong as an ox, guys, forever. You'll be as strong as you were at 27. Think about the allure. Here you have, you go, but what is this about the seed of a woman and the seed of, of Satan? Or the, or the, I think the Bible is talking about the Antichrist here. Satan is going to have his own seed. His own type of you know, it's interesting because I remember reading Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins' novels, Left Behind. Anyone ever read those? And they had trouble talking about how Satan would what? How they would come into the Antichrist. That Satan would at some point come into the Antichrist and, and kind of some kind of possession, they said. What if it's more genetic than just spiritual? Just, just putting it out there because here you have some clues. You go, but pastor, how, how do we get from just simple tinkering with our DNA to having fallen angel DNA introduced? Well, first of all, I want you to know that there's some pretty weird stuff happening with dimension, experimentation, wormhole different realities, trying to get connection to the other side. Now, we call that as Christians because the Bible informs, our worldview is informed by the Bible. And the Bible says that that other realm is called what? The spiritual realm. The spiritual realm. And so you have places like CERN, which is found in, in, uh, in Switzerland, on the border of Switzerland and where? And France. And it's a large Hadron Collider. And this is the largest in the world. And they, they send particles, little bitty particles of an atom, the different parts of an atom, and they try to get them to collide. And when they collide, they have found that a wormhole opens up. And you can see some of the videos online. It, it, the, the president of CERN, or the, 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 the one in charge, says, we want to send a message through. And I'm going, what if something comes back? <laughs> I mean, did anyone think about that? If you can go that way, what if something bad comes back? And so they're already reporting all kinds of weird paranormal activity that takes place. And you might say, oh, pastor, you're just being, well, let me just show you their, um, their logo. logo. And some say that looks like 666. It could be 999. I don't know. I'm not saying one way or another. I'm just showing it to you. I will show you this. This is a statue right 
on the grounds of CERN right as you're going into their building in the courtyard. It's a statue of the goddess of destruction, the Hindu goddess, Shiva. And uh, that's just, that's just kind of weird. I think if you're doing weird experimentation, you shouldn't have the goddess of destruction outside. Just, I'm just saying, that's just like a good idea, right? You should have like a blessing outside. <laughs> that, that's just weird to me. But I want to let you know something else, that according to Jacques Vallée, one of the, one of the premier UFOologists and the one that studies this extraterrestrial life, doesn't believe that, these, that there are, there's life in other galaxies, but he believes that it's interdimensional. Maybe that's why the guys at CERN are so concerned with opening up wormholes and trying to get a hold of the other dimension. And this is where I want to go to the point where I said it's going gonna, it's gonna to speak more to our younger generation because our younger generation is being bombarded with the idea of extraterrestrial life. And the enemy has been laying the groundwork for some time. Remember Star Wars and, and on and on and on, E.T. And it's, he's been laying the groundwork. And you go, oh, pastor, you don't really believe in that. No, I don't believe in extraterrestrial life in terms of aliens. I believe they're demonic. And I do believe that Jacques Vallée has stumbled onto something. And many of these, these individuals that study extraterrestrial life believe that they're not intergalactical, but interdimensional, and that they're not benevolent, benevolent they're malevolent. That they have a little bit of evil to them. You think? The Bible says they are. So stay with me on this. Because the top scientists have already started putting that idea out there. That we've been seeded by extraterrestrial life. That that's an explanation for reality. That our, our planet was seeded. Listen to what Richard Dawkins has to say. One of the top physicists that many people uh, consider a genius. Let's stop right there. I don't have time to listen to the, to the rest of it, but listen to what he said. Some advanced form of civilization somewhere else on another planet seeded this planet. That's what's being put out there over and over and over, that we were seeded and that someday they're coming back. And can you imagine the falling away that would take place, especially in our younger generation that has been prepared for this? with the messaging over and over and over, that here, you know what? The Bible's not true. We're seated from an alien life force, and now they're here as benevolent benefactors to show us how to put our planet in place because our planet is, is out of whack. We don't know how to regulate our planet, and we need help. We're, we're always at war it goes right with what Jesus said. What? That this planet would be groaning for his return. Enemy could say, no, you need my help to show you how to live eco-friendly. 
all these wars, you need my help to show you how to live at peace. You go, oh man, pastor, you're just, hey, look, don't, don't be mad at the messenger. You're seeing this over and over and over. It's called soft disclosure. They're getting us used to the idea. And you say, pastor, I just don't think. Okay, at worst, I mean, at best, it's a distraction. And I'm highlighting the distraction saying, don't get distracted. At worst, the enemy's up to something like really wicked. (laughs) And I'd love to say, hey, Jesus highlighted his signpost. Let's see what he meant by it. Let's see what he meant by it. Now, let me show you a couple of articles real quick. Just real quick. You can read them on your own. You can take snapshots of them. You can download the, uh, the app and listen to the message. Thanks to the Trump era COVID relief bill, a UFO report may soon be made public. As a part of the relief bill during President Trump's uh, time in office, there was, there was a provision made to do a UFO study. Did you know that? No, most people didn't know that. They had 180 days to disclose everything the Pentagon's been hiding. Well, they didn't, but they came out with something. And this is what, there's all sorts of reports out there. UFO report, government cannot explain 143 of the 144 mysterious things that they put on the table to explain. There's thousands of them in their archives, but they only covered 144. And out of the 144, they could only explain one. The rest, they're like, we don't know what they are. They're some kind of phenomenon. And it's, it's something we need to put a lot more effort into. The Defense Department has already begun to disclose. They're letting their pilots talk about it. They're letting their Their colonels talk about it. They're letting their people talk about it to a degree. It's called soft disclosure. They're getting people ready. Okay? You say, oh, come on, pastor. Well, what do you think of Marvel's new movie called The Eternals? It's funny they picked the name The Eternals. And I want you to think about the premise of that movie. If they're not trying to get the younger generation ready for something. Listen, listen to this video. The Eternals? We've been here all along. We've watched. We've stayed in the background, but now it's time. That was pretty cool. Either way, that was was pretty cool. And I get it. They got to make it cool if you're going to watch it, right? But what's the messaging behind it? It's interesting. Skeeter Davis' song is amazing, and they took it. The end of the world. Did you hear that? The soundtrack, the end of the world. All right, so you go, oh, pastor, it's not that big a deal. No, it is, because um, how about this article in Scientific America? In the Scientific American, excuse me, they're talking about how advanced extraterrestrials as seen approximation to God, meaning that 
And you can read the tagline there. Our first encounter with ET technology could be as baffling as us, uh, as baffling to us as a smartphone would have been to a Neanderthal. Meaning we're going to see this amazing new technology, this amazing new civilization come and we're going to view them as gods. The article goes on to say, they're, in all practical purposes, will replace our religions or make them make sense. This is what, and, and, and this morning someone came up to me and said, my daughter, we share custody. And when she goes back, she's constantly being told about aliens and that God doesn't exist and that a new era is coming. This is by a parent. This is what we're being faced with. And I think so many times as Christians, we live in a little cocoon where pastors don't want to deal with a lot of this tough stuff. But it's a signpost. And what's being told is that these, this new civilization that seeded us is going to come back with new technology, new, new um, ways to teach us how to live. And it's going to usher in a, a, an age of Aquarius, of love and peace, where we'll all be one. There's talks right now, people that, 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 that talk about how that would affect our world if an alien life force showed up. It would unite us instantly, they say. Yeah, Revelations talks about that unity. <laughs> you say, oh, pastor, well, how about, how about the, 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 what, what Tom DeLong says? You go, who's Tom DeLong? Do you remember, how many of you remember Blink-182? He was the lead singer. He started the band when he was 16. They played to hundreds of thousands at the very top of his game. He left the band. The band was so angry with him. Why would you leave us? Why would you leave us? He says, to follow my life's work. He says, this is going to change my children's world. And it was about extraterrestrial life. And you go, what is a guy like that? How, does, how far does he get? We well, started a company. And if you go research his company, they are a multimedia company to advance the idea of extraterrestrial life. And they're reaching the younger generation. And in fact, he got in front of Lockheed Martin executives. Uh, he got in front of some of the premier defense contractor executives. He got in front of generals and colonels and, and, and Pentagon officials. And he basically sold himself as saying, hey, look, this is my life work. This is my passion. This is what I'm going to give myself to. And I know how you have a messaging problem. You don't know how to how to get this to the public in a way where they can accept it. Let me help you with that. All I know is the, gener the younger generation that I've been singing to. And so you go, oh, and people thought he was full of it until the WikiLeaks came out and he was shown to have secret meetings with Tom Podesta and, uh, and all of these other officials. And you go, WikiLeaks, what in the world are you talking about? Yeah, I know, you might label me a conspiracy guy, but it's there. He includes it in his book, and this is what he says in an interview after he got an award. Play the video. Very short little clip. He says, what you have is a very, there's a link between what, do you realize you cannot find that clip anymore? And his messaging has changed. His messaging has totally changed and it's all positive. Of course, that was played in 1917 or, or 2000, 2017. Uh, it's changed and it's going to keep changing because you say, okay, pastor, what are you trying to tell me? I'm going to tell you very, very cl clearly. The days of Noah were marked with genetic manipulation of fallen angels in our world. If Jesus says, look out for that, you might want to at least consider it. Consider it. Like I said, at worst, it's a, I mean, at best, it's a huge distraction. At worst, Satan's up to something big. Satan's up to something big. It will be a huge delusion. People will lose their faith like that because they don't know the word of God. So let me share with you one last thing and then I'm done. 
Even the Catholic Church is getting in on it. I have on my desk right now, baptizing an extraterrestrial, written by a Jesuit priest that's a part of the Catholic Church uh, Observatory on Mount Graham in Arizona. You have books that are being put out. Soft, Soft Disclosure, May 2008, a Vatican spokesman, you can see it right there. He wrote a piece called, The Extraterrestrial is My Brother. He was asked whether extraterrestrials need to be redeemed. This was his answer. God was made man in Jesus to save us. If other intelligent beings exist, it is not said that they would have need of redemption. Which is theoretically true. Thus, he asserts that some extraterrestrials may be morally superior to man. They go on to say this in another piece. So they're laying it out slowly. So they may not need to be redeemed, right? Now watch the next piece. Brother Astronomer, Adventures of a Vatican Scientist. This is, per, this is sent out from the Vatican. Now watch. Alien may come here to evangelize us. I can show you other clips where they say we may have to take a hard look at what we consider the gospel. And weigh it against what is revealed. If it's revealed. So maybe it's not revealed. But what if it is? And they start bringing up all these questions. Let me share with you what God's word says. This is where we finish. And no wonder. For even Satan himself transforms into an angel of light. Paul says. Don't believe it. He goes on to tell the Galatian church this. But even if we. Or an angel from heaven should preach another gospel to you other than what has been preached. That Jesus Christ saves. Put your faith in Christ. Turn from your sins. That he's coming back for man who he has saved. If they preach another gospel, let them be cursed. Now, this is what my my son told me to highlight for you guys. He said, Dad, tell them that there's a reason why the Apostle Paul included those. And it may be those verses. It may be for this generation. Because we may just encounter some kind of angel that they're calling something else. Jesus is coming soon. Be excited. Jesus is coming soon. Parents, get involved in your kids' lives. That little girl told her parents, I've been dealing with this. Parents, God, we didn't really know to what extent. Pastor Chris was all over it. He was talking to me. This generation is going to deal with it more and more and more because it marks the end. It marks the end. Maranatha. Lord, come quickly. As you hear this truth and as you consider how how the enemy is at work, I'd love for you to have a conversation with the Holy Spirit and just say, Holy Spirit, convict me of truth. Strengthen my faith that I may stand firmly grounded on your word. I hereby reject any message that is against your word. I declare that your word is all I need and it's sufficient. For every aspect of my life. Until you return Lord. Thank you for the work of the cross. Thank you for dying. For us. 
Thank you for your blood that you shed. It washes us white as snow. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I love you. Have a great, great week.